As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hello, Jackie. Well, to celebrate Black Friday week, we're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just a pound a month for a full 12 months, and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled Wolves coverage for an unbeatable price, and we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. The offer's running until Friday, the 4th of December, so don't miss out go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod that's theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and pay just a pound a month for 12 months the offer is for new subscribers only and you can read everything that tim spears has to write you do need to subscribe because otherwise you won't know everything that tim spears is telling the rest of the wolf stratosphere now we are recording this pod just hours after wolves confirmed the news that raul jimenez fractured his skull in the early stages of the match at the emirates so the tone of this pod will clearly be a little different from usual as frankly all we care about is the welfare of the wolves number nine and on that theme we'll be speaking to the former wolves striker don goodman who was commentating Sky at the Emirates Stadium. He also fractured his skull playing for Wolves and fortunately made a full recovery and we hope and pray that history repeats itself with Raul. We will go on to talk about the football itself, the 2-1 victory and the exceptional way that Wolves players responded to that early sickening blow which was physical for Raul but very much psychological for his friends and his teammates. Tim, we'll be bringing in Don very shortly, but first of all, your reaction and your thoughts on what happened at the Emirates. Hard to put into words. I mean, it's just one of those things that you never hope, that you never want to see or to happen. I mean, you know, especially to to someone as such a lovely guy as as Raul, you know, the limited time that I've spent with him in the past couple of years, he's he's a genuinely nice, humble, down-to-earth guy uh, who loves playing football. And it was quite sickening really and uh, we all hope and pray that he's okay the initial signs are, are, are positive as positive as they sort of can be I mean you've got to say first and foremost this is a life-threatening injury potentially you know a fractured skull so 
thankfully the initial the initial signs were positive. He he was he was up and talking. He was conscious. Underwent surgery almost immediately, and uh, one of the uh, one of the f- four major trauma centres that, that that they've got in London, um, and he'll be there for a few days now, undergoing round the clock observations. You know to check his mental alertness, mental acuity. Um, he'll have his pupils checked, things like that. He'll undergo scans on his on his brain. You know that's that's the most serious thing here is you know has he suffered a brain injury and 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 if so what's the severity of that and there are many different variations and extremities of of a fractured skull um you know of of course we won't speculate as 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 to just how serious Raoul's injury is but like I said the fact the fact that he was initially up and, and talking is a positive sign and then immediately people's thoughts kind of turn to his recovery now, I guess, you know, after the initial shock and, and the well wishes towards him, you know, we kind of ask, number one, will he play football again? Um, and number two, if if he does, how long will, will he be out for? And there are many examples of this, you know, we'll speak to Don in a bit, but obviously, you know, Ryan Mason is one of the most famous examples. You know, he, he unfortunately had to retire from the game a year after suffering that injury. So, but first and foremost, you know, we hope he's okay, gets out of hospital as soon as possible. Um, expecting to be there for a few days. Ryan Mason, as one example, was, was there for eight days, I think, in total. So, um, so we just, we hope and pray that, that he makes a very quick and full and speedy recovery. Yes, Wolves said in their statement, Raul is comfortable following an operation last night, which was Sunday night. He has since seen his partner, Daniela, and is now resting. He'll remain under observation for a few days. The club would like to thank the medical staff at Arsenal, the NHS paramedics, hospital staff and surgeons who, hospital staff and surgeons who, through their skill and early response, were of such help. Well, let's bring in Don Goodman now, who was summarising for Sky Sports during their live coverage at the Emirates, and he experienced a similar injury to that of Raoul. Hi, Don. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. What was your initial reaction when the clash happened? Oh, um, it made that sickening noise of that you get when two heads come together with great force and impact, and uh, the fact that they were both down, uh, the fact that they were both laying prone obvious concerns and uh you know it was great to see david louise sit up you kind of that gave you a reassurance that he was going to be okay but the longer it went on with raul laying down in a recovery position on his side um, it uh it sent a bit of a shiver down my spike truth be told jackie i've got to be honest yes because we know what happened with you in 1996 when you went up for a header with steve jenkins and fractured your skull but when you were actually commentating did you get initial flashbacks to that first of all and that similar feeling of oh my goodness this could be serious no it wasn't really it it, it was all it was just purely about the feeling of this could be serious and please god let him be okay that 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 literally was it for me um in terms of flashbacks or, or whatever i remember i remember my incident clearly i was lucky enough not to knock myself out and when I say knock myself out I say that because it actually was my fault the collision whereas this was this was nothing to do with Raul Jimenez really he was just doing his his job defending that near post uh, area so I I, I was conscious at no point was I ever um, groggy or unconscious I was fully compass mentors to the point where I was telling the physios to to check my arm out because I thought I'd landed awkwardly I couldn't feel my arm this was different I mean he clearly Raul was in distress 
Uh, it didn't look like he was communicating with anybody. There were a lot of bodies around him, and obviously, as as there should be, a lot of medical expertise. And all you've got there as somebody on the outside looking on is to hope and pray for the for the best. So the news that uh, that came through later on last night that he was um, he was conscious, that he was awake, that he was. Uh, uh, in hospital was uh, was a relief, and the fact that he's had an operation already. Hopefully, it's as straightforward as mine proved to be, because there has been a an incident in the not too distant past with, unfortunately, with Ryan Mason, who was unable to carry on his career afterwards. It was a different type of a fracture to to the one that I suffered. So I'm I'm hoping that 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 Raúl Jiménez's injury is more like mine and less like uh, like Ryan's. I mean, Tim and I weren't there, unlike you. There weren't so many people who were there, but those who were there talked about the awful sound, etc. And then they were just waiting. But it's a little bit different for you and Bill Leslie because you have a responsibility when you're commentating with your words. So whilst we watching can have our reaction and one of horror and we can say whatever we like to the person next to us, but you have a big responsibility not to scaremonger, but equally to put across the severity of what's happening over a period of about 10 minutes or so. So did you have people talking into your headphones and guiding you through that? Or was it very much your own decision about your choice of words at the time? No, absolutely not. It was uh, it was Bill Leslie and myself. We received a lot of praise from the, the bosses at Sky Sports for the way we handled it. They felt that we handled it really well. It was a very difficult situation. It was a, a testing situation um, because obviously there was at least one player that, that had a serious serious injury so yeah like any major incident on a football pitch or in life for that matter that's being covered by the uh, the broadcasters the media there there is a responsibility with how you project yourself and obviously project the um you, you know the, the situation that uh, that is distressing for for an awful lot of different reasons yeah, I would very much echo that, by the way, Dom, because I know how difficult it is when you're in a situation when there is a serious injury and you are thinking you have to get the choice of words right and you can't scaremonger, but equally you can't change a subject and make light of it. You have to get that tone absolutely spot on. So absolutely well done to you and Bill for that. Don, in terms of the um, recovery process, I mean, you know, first of all, we just we just hope that Raoul... Is his health is okay, but you know, hopefully he'll 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 follow the path that you did and return to playing. I just wonder if you could talk us through. I know every injury of this type is unique and different, but from from your experience, what what was the recovery process that you went through, particularly in those initial weeks and months? Just, just trying to think of what Raoul might maybe going through in the near future. Yeah, I, I consider myself uh, lucky in so many uh, so many different ways, really. First of all, on the way, as I arrived at hospital in my scenario, I actually had a what was classified as a fit. My, my fingers started twitching, my arms started twitching, and most scarily of all, my, my cheek started uh, twitching, and it was painful, and so they had to deal with that. So in essence, I had a, a, a bit of a fit. So at that point, I wasn't thinking about anything um, other than my health. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant with our unborn daughter. My little boy was only about three and I was consumed by those kind of thoughts of, uh, of 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 getting through it and coming out the other side, being a healthy human being, and not by uh, not worrying about whether or not I'd uh, I'd play again. Um, that was to come in the in the days to follow. Like I said, my surgeon was the most calm, 
reassuring uh, human being that I, I think I've ever met. He was like a knight in shining armour that was sent there to reassure me that everything was going to be okay and that the operation, whilst um, carrying its own risks, he would he would do everything in, in his power, not only to make sure that I came through as a healthy human being afterwards, but that I would be able to get back to playing football. So I think the kind of information that you that you get from your doctors and from your surgeons and from your the medical staff it's really important focusing on the positive and the operation itself and this is what I'm talking about the different types of skull fractures I I was I suffered what's called a depressed skull fracture so in essence that is if you get a ping pong ball press your thumb into it hard and it the indentation it goes in and it doesn't come out does it you know what I'm talking about that's a depressed fracture of the skull so with that and with mine it was straightforward that the surgeon drilled four holes in the top of my skull and lifted the skull back up into the place where it was supposed to be. So as I say, we're not privy to the information as to what type of a fracture that Raul Jimenez has had. But once the surgeon had done that on me, the recovery was was going to be straightforward. Obviously, the scans and everything had shown that there had been no uh, no bleeding on the brain, no damage to the brain, no damage to the membrane surrounding the brain, and that I was going to be fine. So basically, once you get through the sort of headaches of the first few days, it's about getting your head around the recovery process. And it is about understanding that it's a patience game, uh, an injury like this. There isn't really anything that you can do to speed up the healing process. All our bodies heal at different uh, rates. And fortunately for me, I was told that I might be out for up to a year and it only turned out to be six months. The other positive thing from my perspective was that I fractured my skull with literally uh, one game of a season to go. So then I had the whole of the sort of rest period and pre-season where I wouldn't be missing competitive games of football. So I, although I was out for six months, I think on reflection, I probably only missed about two months worth of actual game time. Of course, that's going to be different for Raul Jimenez. And of course, as we keep reiterating, first and foremost, we want the fact that he is healthy and he is going to be okay um, to be the main um, the main focus. But knowing the little bit that I do about him and his personality and the way he plays, um, he strikes me as a an incredibly determined character, um, and that is a commodity that only will stand you in good stead when you're recovering from uh, a, an injury of this nature. Very much so, Don. And they're very much a tight knit unit. The Wolf Squad. We know how small they are. Um, they don't have 15, 20 players on the periphery being interchanged every week. They are a tight-knit unit. Their team spirit is spoken of frequently as being key to their success until now. So the other players will feel it keenly. And those players who are out there who heard that noise and who were standing around for 10 minutes or so then had to psychologically dust themselves down and somehow almost shake off professionally what had just happened and get on with playing a game of football so how impressed were you by the way they went about it and the type of football and the type of committed display that they then produced I, I can't I can't actually speak highly enough I did speak in that 10 minute um, interlude while the, the players were getting treatment as you as you know about the difficulty facing both sets of players actually knowing that there is a uh, a serious injury that's happened to um, a colleague and no matter what colours you were wearing last night when you see something like that you are thinking about the consequences of that individual that plays for the other team as well as 
your own teammate. So I, can't, I couldn't be more impressed. I think that's what made it an even better performance. On the face of it, it was a brilliant, attacking, disciplined, organised display. But to be able to do it on the back of the concern and the worry that you would have about somebody that you care deeply about makes it just the most remarkable performance. And I'd be shocked if Wolves can play better than that this season, given the the mental strain and stress that that must have been upon upon the players. I mean, it was obvious for about five minutes after the incident, when the game restarted, that both sets of players were finding it difficult. It was it took four or five minutes for the game to, to get going again. But once uh, once Pedro Neto had, had opened the scoring, that was it. It was it, the game was off and running and, and it was a wonderful display. A little bit hairy for me or hairier than it needed to be in the last ten minutes, but um worthy, worthy winners. And um, as I said again in commentary, I'm pretty sure that they were they were motivated in putting on a performance like that and getting the win. Um, so they could dedicate it to uh, to Raul Jimenez. Don, obviously, you, thankfully, you made a, a physical recovery from your injury. What, what about mentally? Do you remember going to head the ball again for the first time, for example, or, or, or maybe a clash of heads, or going in for a ball at a corner? How, how easy or difficult was was that? I remember it. I remember it, Tim, like it was yesterday. It was in a training uh, uh, scenario. I'd only just been allowed back in the group, and I was able to join in the five sides. But I had to wear a uh, a skull cap, um, the old rugby skull cap type thing for protection. I wasn't allowed to head the ball at that uh, particular time in my recovery, but I was allowed to run and, and join in with the uh, the small-sided games. And uh, I think it was like only about the second day in, we're playing a five-a-side and somebody smashes a ball and it's heading straight for my face from about five yards away. And human nature kicks in. I just tilted my head forward so that it didn't strike me in the face, so that it struck me on the head. And lo and behold, it smashed me on the top of the head, exactly where the fracture was, knocked me off my feet. Everybody gasped. All the players gathered around and concerned. And there I was lying on the floor, almost giggling, really, because I knew at that moment, that was my moment that that showed me that I was going to be OK. And I think all players, when they're recovering from an injury, need a moment like that. You know, if you break your leg, it might be that first real full-blooded tackle that you go in for you come out of it afterwards and you and that's the the reassurance and the, and the signal to you that you know that you're going to be okay and that part of your body's going to be okay so that was that was mine in the early part of the rehab Tim and um, I'm absolutely thrilled that it happened that way brilliant Don we really appreciate you joining us and uh, and, and sharing your thoughts mate it's very good for you thank you no it's my pleasure and thoughts and prayers with Ralph this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hey. 
the first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, the Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Over the next three episodes, we will explore Neymar's 222 million euro move from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, a transfer that changed the game not only because it more than doubled the world transfer record, but explain how the ripple effects made it arguably the most significant transfer in the history of the game. That's Beyond the Headline, available wherever you get your podcasts or get it ad-free via the Athletic app. Thanks to Don Goodman for joining us. Tim, what are we expecting to hear next from the club and when regarding Raoul's condition? Not anticipating a, a, an update for a, probably for a few days yet. I suspect the next we'll hear is when we speak to Nuno for Friday's pre-match, uh, pre-Liverpool press conference. I mean, obviously Nuno spoke... Very well last night. He was being given, you know, real-time updates. In fact, he had to cut away from the post-match press conference because Dr. Matt Perry was was giving him a call to to update him on Rao's condition. Um, of course, this matter is complicated by the situation with coronavirus as well. You know, you you'd maybe anticipate if if Raoul was was awakened up to visitors that the whole squad would go and visit him. You know, or certainly Nuno, but they won't be allowed. To, to do that. Um, fortunately, his, his, his partner is with him, Daniela, travelled down immediately last night. Uh, from what I gather, you know, as soon as, as, soon as it happened, she travelled down uh, and has seen him and spent time with him um, in hospital. The players have been made aware as well of, of, of everything that's going on. I think they were, they were all told on WhatsApp on Monday morning before the statement was released to the public as, as to exactly what the latest with him what the latest is with his condition so we're not going to get updates every day on exactly what's happening but but I think we'll get a clearer picture perhaps towards the end of the week as to his condition and to his um, absence from the, from the game Just one other element, we've had a few messages from Wolves fans Tim about David Luiz's part in the incident and whether there was any recklessness, not malice as such, because nobody, I don't think, would suggest that anybody would go in to headbutt another footballer at, at such speed and pace. But whether he had a chance of getting to the ball and whether it was a reckless challenge, any fault from your side of things? I wouldn't I wouldn't lay any at all. And I think David Louise will be feeling bad enough today without people suggesting that he might have done this on purpose or that he could have avoided this. And... We demand this of our footballers. We demand that they make late runs into the box and throw their head at a football. And someone from the from the opposite team will be doing exactly the same. So this happens. If David Luiz was stood two yards away from Jimenez and wasn't making a challenge, he'd be berated, and rightly so, for not showing commitment. And it's that kind of attitude that then leads to him playing on because he shouldn't have played on. I think it's terrible that he played on. He then goes off at half-time, which compounds the decision that he shouldn't have been allowed to play on and this yeah this image of him it's because he couldn't head the ball his manager said yeah he couldn't actually he was really uncomfortable and couldn't head a ball if he can't head a ball he, sh he shouldn't shouldn't have been on the field and this image of him with a, with a you know a Terry Butcher's 1980s style bandage around his head and, and blood kind of seeping out it's a terrible 
terrible look for the game in 2020 when other sports are way ahead of football in terms of concussion substitutes in cricket and, and rugby have dealt with this very well for years. Why why we haven't got concussion substitutes in football, I do not know. Why is David Louise not going into the dressing room for, for 10, 15 minutes for proper treatment and having a concussion substitute on his stead? Uh, you know, words fail me, to be honest. And they had a centre-half on the bench, a ready-made replacement. It's not as though they were down to the bare bones with, with only a couple of 18-year-old strikers on the bench. They had an option who they brought on at half-time in Rob Holding. Exactly, and there are so many types of complications with these injuries. You know, symptoms don't show immediately. He might not, might not show symptoms for quite a few minutes, so to allow him to play on yes he might have passed all the protocols but from a very simplistic layman's point of view I, I thought it was baffling that he was allowed to, to play on but but it is that kind of the commitment we demand of them does lead to that because he he might have he would have think, thought he was being weak by coming off maybe and you know he's got to stay on and help his teammates and you know it's not a war we're talking about here. it's a bloody football match so got to use common sense here but as to your original question no no He's he's gone in full full throttle, which is what we demand of our footballers, to be honest. So I, I, I don't think we can turn around and say he shouldn't be challenging for that ball at, the, the, at that speed. And in terms of concussion substitutes, I heard Gus Poyet, the former uh, Chelsea and Spurs player, saying that, yes, we should have them, but they have to be used correctly because he was saying, as we know, that people in football will do anything to get around the rules and, and they'll be players who are told to stay down and pretend that they've got a concussion just so yeah. they can use an extra substitute. And it's a really sad thing to say, it but is. we do know these things happen. But let's bring it in to protect the health and well-being of, of these people. I'm not even going to call them footballers, of these people. And then we'll worry with all those shenanigans later, but let, let's, let's just, you know, let's think about the health and safety of everybody. Absolutely. Well, Fabio Silva, 18-year-old striker, Got rather more action than he bargained for when he came on as a replacement for Raul. What did you make of his performance? So, yeah, so obviously, you know, we've all been in shock for the last kind of 24 hours and we're just so concerned about Raul Jimenez. But, but you know, this this will move on now and there's football games to be played, as, as kind of churlish as that sounds. And and there's a major issue for Wolves here in, in that they're perhaps most indispensable player is is, is not going to be available for, for the time being for Sunday's trip to Liverpool. We, we will... We will see probably Fabio Silva start up front. Um, he did okay. I mean, he, he didn't win a header, which isn't great. Um, there were lots of kind of short passes and link-up play. Um, he did a good job of defending from the front and he worked really hard and, and his commitment was there. Um, in terms of linking up with those behind him, not not so much, although he played a part in the first goal, but that'll come hopefully with time. And I think from knowing Wolves as I do in terms of their reluctance to go out and buy players for the sake of it, what they'll do is they'll watch Silva very closely for the next few weeks, if, if indeed he does he does start now, and they'll see if they think he's up to it in the short term. And obviously they'll get a sense of, of how long Jimenez is, is out for, of course, with the proviso that he does return to football, you know. But And then there's January coming up and perhaps they'll dip into the loan market. But for now, I think with the three players that he had behind him, playing such an incredible role last night and linking up together so well, Silva perhaps doesn't have to be the one that's going to score 15 goals between now and the end of the season. He, he's got an important role to play as a fulcrum, as a link and as a, a, a player to defend from the front, which I think he can do. Yeah, he did a lot of the hard work that we're used to seeing Raul doing, which is dropping deep and, and linking up play with his back to goal, spinning, playing it wide, going forwards. The one thing that he will no doubt be practicing on the training field 
is darting to the near post because yeah. I counted yeah. at least yes. three occasions where Neto put in the most sublime balls and he was there thinking, oh, where's it going to go? And in the split second, he was thinking, oh, where's it going to go? He could have made that darting run into the danger area, which all good strikers tell you about, to gamble and make sure you're there, whether it's a near post, whether it's a centre, but just make sure you're there if that player puts in a great ball across the centre of the goal. And it happened at least three times. Something to work on. It's it's not something that you have to be born with. That's something anybody can do. Anybody can practice. I do agree. But Jimenez doesn't do that that too well because he's often so occupied in other areas of, of, of the field and he's often the one starting the attacks as well. So... I guess they. I guess Wolves will need to decide if they want Fabio to be a, a Raúl replicant, or if they want to use his strengths. Um, and his strengths are being in the box and being on the end of these of these balls. You know, from from his time at Porto and at youth football, he's very much a number nine who relies on service and is exceptional at movement in the box and um, and finishing, clinical finishing. But if he's going to play the Jimenez role, he's not going to be in those positions as, as often as he perhaps has been earlier in his very, very short career. So, um, But he wasn't far off. I'm talking about ones yeah. where the ball was coming in and he was thinking about making a run, wasn't sure and didn't quite get there. So so I'm talking about just starting that run a second earlier, gambling, whether it's near post, centre, wherever, and having a far, far better chance of scoring a goal. Well... Plug alert. He could do a lot worse than reading a fantastic article I read on this website of ours called The Athletic um, at the weekend. Michael Cox, a.k.a. Zonal Markin, interviewed Gary Lineker and showed him via Zoom um, some of the uh, iconic goals of his career. And it, honestly, it's a fascinating forensic examination of his own game and how he and how he was coached and how he learned to be the ultimate fox in the box and make those runs and deceive defenders. It's he, honestly he he should just read that. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I don't think he scored a single goal from outside the box in his entire career, did he, Gary Lineker? Oh, there was, was a couple. There? Yeah, there, there, there's one on the article. There's all. There's all. Um, there's videos on the article as well to illustrate these goals. It's um, it's well worth a read. Just a couple. Oh wow! Oh, they're collector's <laughs> items. Yeah, because it was mostly right place, right time, and and fabulous finishing, Gary Lineker. Yeah. Uh, whether uh, this is a bit of a long shot, but you know Stevie Balls around and about hasn't been able to play golf recently. Let's get Don back uh, on. Hang on. Do you reckon that Nuno might get him in to uh, have a little? Chat and a bit of coaching if he's allowed to. I don't know with the bubbles and the COVID and all the rest of it. But but very different types of players, don't get me wrong. But the goal-scoring instinct that Stevie Ball had, knowing where to be and when, and the types of finishes is something that young Fabio could certainly learn from. Yeah, def- definitely, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see... You know, we've 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 worried for the last two years as as to what will happen if if Jimenez ever picks up an injury, and the answers haven't really been there to be honest. So now, does Nuno entrust Fabio Silva, or is it is it too early for him? Does he look in the loan market where, let's be honest, the standard of players they're able to bring in, who are free and available and are going to score lots of goals, you're not going to get many options a lot of, of that ilk. So it's time for George Mendes to to earn his crust and uh, and and maybe produce something special in January for the rest of the season, but. What what did bode really well for for me last night is that after Jimenez came off the field, Wolves produced some scintillating attacking football and scored two goals. You know that was without Jimenez on the field. I thought they were absolutely fantastic at times and devastating with with the clinical nature of these of these um, sort of brisk counter attacks in Arsenal's half. Traore, Pedence, Neto, 
combined beautifully on many occasions and um, they've all got a massive part to play in in the coming weeks but last night's performance does bode very well in that regard. Final word on the striking options or lack of them for Wolves. We think about the type of clubs that Wolves are similar to in the Premier League or would like to be similar to. Um, Everton, maybe one of them, don't have so many other forward options apart from Calvert-Lewin but they do have Cenk Tosin and Richarlison can certainly play up there. Leicester are another similar type club in that they would like to finish above them, ideally, looking at their attacking options, as well as Jamie Vardy, who's clearly their main man. They also have Kelechi Iheanacho. They also have Damari Gray. They also have Ayosu Perez, um, as well as Islam Slimani. There's a lot of attacking options there up front that Wolves don't have. Absolutely, but it's it's... To use to coin Nuno's phrase, it's up to him to find solutions elsewhere in the squad, and it's up to others to to step up. And I, th- I, th- I think we did see a hint of that last night, and we've seen Traore play up front before. We know Pedence and Neto are so adept again in, in and around the box and creating chances for each other. So it's just about how to form a, a perhaps a slightly different style of play now. But um, but I'm sure they can come up with something. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's talk about what Wolves did exceptionally well. If you've lost your teammate and you've seen something horrific and you need to galvanise yourselves and try to win a football match, what's the best way to go about it? Well, apart from dig in, dig deep, give your very best and try to win a football match, I would suggest that scoring a goal which involves all 10 outfield players playing fast, positive attacking football is the best way to go about it. Picture the scene, 27th minute, Semedo on the far side, the Wolves right, takes a short throw in, level with the Wolves' own penalty area. Pedence receives it on the half term. He nudges it back to Cody inside his own box. First time to Marcel, as Wolves look to build down the left channel over the halfway line to Neto on the left wing. Infield to Matinho, he looks up. He plays it infield to Bolly inside the centre circle. Positive forward pass from him to Fabio Silva, who lays it off first time to Pedence. He looks up, spots Triori on the right wing, who starts motoring with purpose. He takes on Tierney. He bursts into the box. He gets to the byline. He clips the ball up into the six-yard box. Dendonka rises highest. He nods the ball against the bar. It drops back into the danger area. Neto reacts fastest. He slams the ball home, right-footed from seven yards out. Arsenal nil, Wolves won. What a goal. Have you, thought about, have you thought about being a football commentator? That was all right, that. No, Bird shouldn't <laughs> do that. Absolutely brilliant goal. I had to watch it back several times, as you might have gathered. 
the fact that every single outfield player was involved and it started with Semedo and Pedence and Neto each touched the ball twice in that move. But that, I would urge everybody to go back the 27th minute, watch that goal back and just see what positive, attacking, purposeful play looks like. It sort of harks back to the Championship days, really. There are quite a few examples of great team goals from that time. There's one against Sheffield United, which always kind of springs to mind. And yeah, this is this is the approach they've adopted in the last two games. They're fearless, they're attacking. They've sort of been let off the leash, really. But, you know, when you analyse it, they're not necessarily pushing further players forward than they were. They've just changed the dynamics slightly. Um, I think I described it today. He's, he's not taking the handbrake off, but they've they've just got a faster car now, and it, it, there's there's more zip and more intensity about their play. And I've I've got to credit him. You know, we've we've had a few digs at Nuno this this season with the with this dual football that, that's been played, and he's seen it and he's recognised it and he's changed the formation and he's and he's proved flexible. I'm really excited about about the next few weeks to see what they to see what they can offer and. It was great to see uh, Traore involved. You know, he's had a, he's had a sluggish few weeks. Neto was brilliant again. Pedence, the three of them combined, creating such problems for Arsenal for Arsenal's defence that they just couldn't handle. And um, if you look at what Wolves produced in an attacking sense compared to compared to what Arsenal could produce, it was far more. And um, I think their XG was the highest of the season. They had eleven shots. They continued this remarkable record in the last three seasons um, at Arsenal where they've now had 48 shots in three matches at the Emirates. They love going there to attack and they were fully deserving of the, of the victory. And you're right, that goal was just absolutely sublime and yeah, harked back to the walls of old. We just haven't seen that this season. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, the equaliser came, unfortunately, a short while after. I'm totally blaming Don Goodman for this because he was saying, just as Arsenal came forwards, how Arsenal hadn't had a shot at goal. And then Cody, with a fabulous interception to deny Aubameyang, went for a corner. And then short corner, Willian, simple cross in. Pedence didn't stop the cross. Triori was looking around to see where his man is. Balls in the air. Four players around Gabriel Dendonka, Marcel was there, Semedo was kind of ball-watching a little bit, Triori ineffective. Uh, Marcel grabbing the shirt of the player, but didn't actually leap to compete in the way that Gabriel did. Dendonka as well, and 1-1. That second goal for Wolves in the 41st minute, another absolutely fabulous goal, which had everybody on Sky Sports waxing lyrical. Arsenal on the break. Now, when TV show highlights, they tend to just show the final stages of a goal, but both of these goals really worth watching back in full because actually Arsenal coming forward down the left-hand side, played the ball into the box. Cody on the edge of his own box doesn't just cut it out and play it short to a teammate. He cuts it out and with one single touch, he sets Wolves on the counter-attack, finds Triori on the right. He controls it with his back to goal, spins away from Xhaka, who wants to hack him down but can't get near him, tried to pull his shirt instead. Triori off balance. As he's falling, he plays a wonderful ball, left-footed, into the feet of Neto, who races forwards positively in a central position. Louise and Bellerin ahead of him. Hasbedence in space to his left, chooses to shoot, takes a deflection. Leno saves it and Pedence... What a touch. He just scooped the ball sublimely over Gabriel's legs, skipped over him, kept his balance and then rifled it past Leno. What a fabulous goal. Two wonderful goals in the first half. Thank you very much, Spider. 
<laughs> I love this. I absolutely love this. You've had a great time this morning watching the game back, haven't you? <laughs> I'd be dying to watch it because I was sitting in a dart studio last night sort of knowing there was good stuff happening but I couldn't watch it although the darts was absolutely brilliant by the way there were so many roles to highlight in this goal but I'm going to pick out Trey Ray because again we've given him a bit, a bit of stick no assists since June that remains the case but those two goals don't happen without him and the way he turns uh, Xhaka he turned him into Kurd basically he absolutely <laughs> did a three a 360 with him but the the tena- I did enjoy your article everyone should read this by the way this article that, that Tim's quoting himself from it's well worth a read this <laughs> I am quoting myself I just realized that it was two, it was two, it was two in the morning I don't know where that came from um I was quite I was you know I was quite pleased with my lava lamp analogy for for the goal, yeah, he leapt over Gabrielle's legs like a gold lava lamp. Because you know, you know, in the lava lamp where where the ball kind of splits in half and it just pops up like that, pops yeah. up. That's what it was like yeah. as he just kind of rose above above Gabrielle. It was a beautiful moment. Compared favourably, and I'm going to throw him under the bus here, and he won't like it. By our Arsenal supporting producer Adonis to Lionel Messi, he said, "Lionel, I've not seen a goal like that since Messi scored against us 2010." And he's <laughs> he's right, absolutely spot on. He compared him to Hazard earlier there, this actually. season, and now it's, now it's Messi. Oh, what's next? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. No, but Traore, the, the, the tenacity shows, the strength, the awareness to then play that ball as, as he's falling as well. I was so impressed with that. And um, Penense's finish was phenomenal, really. The the um, the poise and the skill that he shows, not rushing into it, not blasting it, just just cutely creating that space for the shot and then, and then he buries it. Absolutely brilliant. A lot of people would have been quite miffed at that stage that his teammate hadn't found him in space in the penalty area and might have stopped and sort of thrown his hands in the air, the fact that he shot instead of squaring it to him. There was none of that. There was just quick reaction, just like Neto for the first goal. It was a case of quick reaction while the Arsenal defenders were looking around thinking, right, where's the ball gone? And the Wolves players were right there. But yeah, everyone waxing lyrical about Pedence, and rightly so, lovely finish. But Traore deserves a huge amount of credit. And I loved the positivity. We've been talking about it on this pod, haven't we? That you've got this fabulous player who, we have to be honest, Wolves haven't been getting the best out of in recent times, whether it's a case of him not starting or when he's on, sort of heading to the corner flag and floating a ball in. This is what we wanted. We wanted to see him causing absolute mayhem and defenders thinking, oh my goodness, what's he going to do now? And that lovely moment that they played on Match of the Day 2, you know, they do the too good, too bad. Did you see that? I think I sent it to you when Rob Holding oh, I did see that. was booked yeah. for pulling him back. And you just about catch the audio and he says, he's built like a brick bleep house. And he goes down like that, but never mind that. It's a foul. Well, I'm not being funny, but he's got he's got to go down to win to win free kicks and penalties, hasn't he? If he's not going to get a penalty for that one in the second half when he gets trodden on, and VARs in the stadium, a functioning video assistant referee system, how is it not a penalty? The the fact it happened so quickly, and so people are thinking, oh, there wasn't much to it, and he went, down, oh, you don't want to see penalties given for that. I don't understand why do you not want to see penalties given for that because the bloke try always much faster than Gabriel. Gabriel lunges late, catches his standing foot as he's running at 100 miles an hour. I mean, he catches his standing foot as he's running at 100 miles an hour. Of course he's going to go down. Yeah. Because it's a foul. It doesn't matter how much of a foul. The fact is, he was nowhere near the ball and he caught the bloke's standing foot. So he couldn't continue and, and try and do whatever he was going to do. No, you're right. When I first saw it, I presumed it was a dive because 
you can't tell at that speed and he's booked for diving and doesn't really complain to be honest that was the odd thing about it he's he, he was very polite and apparently is a is a nice softly spoken kind of lad but was he being a bit too nice there he should be and i'm not talking about abusing referees there's a big difference but making it clear to referees you have been fouled is just fine thanks he's the same when, whenever he gets fouled and and there was what 30 bookings against him next last season and every time someone lunged into him he just he just dusted himself down and got back on with it again but um yeah no that that yeah, that was a penalty all day long other positives we need to race through them because we could be here all day but Joao Moutinho he's a man reborn Moutinho and and like so many of them I'm good, you've got to pay tribute to um their versatility and he's played in a slightly different position to he did against Southampton, more of a withdrawn role, more of a defensive role. He played deeper and he won twice as many tackles as anyone on the pitch. And it was a sort of a commanding defensive performance. And you look at where he is now compared to where he was four weeks ago when he, when he couldn't get a kick against Leicester. It's a complete 180 in terms of his fortunes. And um, yeah, he was absolutely brilliant, as were a lot of them. And like I said, the versatility, you know, you've got Marcel, who's gone from left wing back to left back. You've got Semedo doing the same on the other flank. You've got Martino in a withdrawn role. You've got Pedenz in a 10. You've got Traore and Neto had been sort of playing in midfield a little bit, a deeper role. Now he's more, he was, Neto was the most advanced person on, on the pitch. And then you've got Cody and Bolly going from a back three to a back two. They've all slightly changed their positions and all acclimatised superbly and, 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 and richly deserved a 2-1 win away at Arsenal. I mean, you, you can't pay enough of a tribute to them for that. Mossal, outstanding, wasn't he? Played a part in that goal, as did all of them, the outfield players, of course, in that first goal. But And that was with his right foot. I was looking out for him to see, has he got a right foot? Because he hardly ever uses it. But he did on that occasion and an important clearance with his right foot as well. So I'll, I'll stop going on about that. But he was really, really fantastic. I mean, he played in the Champions League quarterfinal and semi-final last season for Leon on the left of a back three but he's he's proven just how versatile he is and he looks like a proper left back doesn't he? Yeah he does as you say a couple of really important clearances I was surprised he didn't play against Southampton to be honest and I think when you compare him to Aitnori he's he's far more adept at sniffing out danger um, better physically as well he looks stronger he's not going to do as much going forward but neither's I mean, Semedo did get forward a bit, but if you look at their sort of average positions for the game, they were a lot deeper than they would be as, as wing-backs, as, as you'd expect. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think Marcel hopefully can now stay injury-free because we know that's been an issue with him. And I think he'll really grow and, and blossom. He looks like he's got all the right attributes. Got feel sorry for Kilman, by the way, just in case. Kilman's done nothing wrong, but he's, he's a victim of the formation change. Yeah, absolutely. But Wolves are showing now that they are, as Nuno said, post-match, less predictable or was it pre-match? Either way, he didn't want Wolves to be predictable. And that's absolutely the key thing. We've talked about it plenty on this pod, haven't we? That if if somebody we know or a colleague from another club or a commentator says, right, how are Wolves going to play? You go, oh, no problem. I'll just jot it down for you. It's very, very simple. And of course, the opposition will be doing exactly the same. They'll be analysing Wolves going, yep, that's how they play. And it has been Wolves' downfall in the past. But this is making them a lot less predictable and giving them so many options. And as Nuno loves to say solutions they're finding solutions yeah it's 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 a revolution in, in wolves terms you know they've played the same formation for three years and now they're now they're playing three in the same game for two games in a row against Southampton they played three formations and they played three against Arsenal as well they, they started with with a 4-2-3-1 they went 4-3-3 in the second half and then they ended the game back with three at the back so God knows what the fans are going to sing when they when they come back in. Is it three at the back and pace and attack, or is it four? Is, <laughs> is it is it what? But um, but yeah, they're showing that versatility. Um, 
and it, and it completes the credit. And, and as you say, you know, Liverpool won't know what they're going to face now at the weekend, especially especially with Jimenez out as well. So that's got to be a good thing that unpredictability. And 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 to whatever you do, don't pay any attention to Wolves tweeting out the team news because they tweeted out three four three on their graphic. <laughs> Um, admin deception, um, as has happened in the past. So yeah, it's uh, good for them. Good for them. Good, good for, for them. them. Keeps everyone guessing. It could, they could don't, be anything. They don't need to hand the tactics to the opposition, do they, or to the media? We could all work it out ourselves. But as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, that's four at the back. I, it never occurred to me that that was actually the formation because I didn't think he was going to play Pedro Neto there at all. I thought Marcel would, but I was very much hoping that Arsenal would look at that and go, oh, they're playing. Three at the back with Neto as a left wing back. I'd love it if Arteta did that. Yeah, he's, he's just refreshing Wolves' Twitter feed, waiting to see what, what formation they're going to play. But, um, yeah, in fact, you, you, I'm sure that's how they do. You, it. you mentioned Neto. Um, yeah, I mean, he would have been wasted at wing back, right? He was phenomenal. He's Twenty years old, this kid. Pedro Neto, as you mentioned, being fabulous and Pedence, we saw the best of him against Arsenal and Triori saw the best of him as well against Arsenal. So it does make you think formation-wise whether those three at the front are the front three or whether they do have Fabio Silva as a focal point ahead of them or as part of the link-up play. Um, And it's just great that Nuno has those options now. Uh, But it is really interesting to think what is he going to do at Liverpool in terms of back four, back five? You think he'll probably play it a little safer with a back five and who does he not start? Would you say Fabio Silva? I think I think he probably goes. I think he probably goes the same again. And I think he look, he looks to cause Liverpool problems. You, you, Liverpool are going to score, and it's probably going to be Jota. And if not, it'll be Salah. And if not, it'll be Mane. And if not, it'll be Firmino. They've got goals in them. I, I, trying to stop them scoring is a very very difficult task. I think Wolves need to score at the other end and play on Liverpool's weakness, which would be their defence. I know they've done well. They've coped pretty well without Van Dijk and Gomez and Alexander Arnold. But really, you've got to look at susceptible weaknesses there and. I think they'll hopefully go with the same attacking, attempt and positive approach that they did at the Emirates. The first, they won a corner within 20 seconds at Arsenal. You know, the, the, the Jimenez injury obviously derailed them for many minutes, but but they started on the front foot. I want to see that again. I want to see them take the game to Liverpool as they have done in the past, as they tend to do against big six teams. It tends to serve them very well. There's a slight concern over the defending at the other end. You know, they, they, they were making a few individual mistakes last night and... I was disappointed with them going so deep so early. You know, they they did cling on, but I think better teams might have might have found a way to equalise in those last ten minutes. But but going forward, they look great. I'd like to see them play to those strengths, continue with a positive attacking intent. Yeah, there were very hairy last few minutes, last quarter of an hour really, against Arsenal. Something to work on, but interesting to see. A big game for Connor Cody as well. We all know about his love for Liverpool, but his love for Wolves as well, and his leadership. I can't finish this pod without just touching once again on the leadership of Connor Cody and what he brings to that side. I mean, you saw as they had to galvanise themselves after the Jimenez awful injury. And when Wolves scored in the 27th minute with Neto, that yes, Cody went to congratulate Neto, but also he grabbed hold of Fabio Silva and gave him a little pep talk. And the way he led that young lad through that match, he's an absolute dream for a manager isn't he and you just hope that Jurgen Klopp just looks the other way and doesn't even think about making oh, a bit for him. well that's enough. the thing now everyone's been saying oh we can't he can't get to Liverpool they play four at the back Cody can't play four at the back 
<laughs> see you shaking your head on Zoom. Yeah, that's a slight concern, isn't no, it? No, just can't, he can't ever. Well, my colleague uh, David Onstein reliably reported a, a couple of weeks ago that Liverpool aren't looking to buy in January. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, that remains the case. Or next summer, or the following January, <laughs> or the following <laughs> yeah, summer. Absolutely. They I know. never God, need that, to recruit. Oh, that is a worry, isn't it? It's the Ever one club again. we go to. Oh, dear. Um, He's the only club I think Wolves fans would let him go to physically. <laughs> it's like oh, if you love someone, God. set them free. Extreme, it's one of those, isn't oh it? God, extremely reluctantly. Um, no, we don't want him going anywhere. He, he, was, he was brilliant. What a season he's having. England call-up, England recognition, playing well, captain in his bloody country, scoring a goal and um, continuing this fabulous form for Wolves. Three at the back, four at the back, he's fine. He's their manager on the pitch. You just cannot speak highly enough of him as, as a player and a human being. He's just brilliant, isn't he? And that lovely clip, if anyone hasn't seen it, of Declan Rice on Sky Reporter Patrick Davison's Twitter feed, do have a little look back for it because Declan Rice talks about being in the England squad. I don't know, he he was actually asked about leadership and he said, well, if you look at the England squad in the dressing room, of course, you've got a great leader in Jordan Henderson. But Connor Cody, he says, and said about just he'd never seen that kind of leadership before and the way he spoke in the dressing room. Bearing in mind, Connor's been there for five minutes and he could totally be forgiven for just still feeling his way in and not getting too big for his boots, but he's just a natural leader. Yeah, completely agree. And, and he's and he's taken his Wolves leadership and form on, onto international level. Um, he's just, uh, he's really coming to his own even more this season. But but most importantly, his football standards have been excellent and he was he was great at the Emirates, cleared a lot of, cleared a lot of danger. And um, yeah, looks like he's got, I'm going to do a piece on it hopefully later this week, but it looks like he's got no problems playing in the back four at all. Aha, uh-huh. what else are you going to be writing about? Anything else? Not having any days off, I hope, or anything drastic like that? No, no, no. Oh, well, I've got plenty of time off to take before the end of the year, but I certainly won't be missing any Mondays, Jackie Oatley. And uh, yeah, a few, a few bits and bobs coming up, hopefully a very big piece towards the weekend or the start of next week, which I can't really talk about, but yeah, keep your eyes peeled. And are you going to get a new boiler fitted at any stage? You look like you are freezing on our Zoom chat. Oh, you look like you're on top of a mountain in the, well, in the Alps in January or something. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm hopefully getting a new boiler installed on Tuesday. I haven't had a shower for a week. Um, I'm not going to tell everyone what my what my current washing routine is, as I was detailing to you earlier, because nobody needs to it hear that. It involves pots and pans um, and taking them upstairs to the bath, you poor love. <laughs> you poor love. I've, I think it's called a French wash. If if you want to Google it or look at uh, look at Urban Dictionary, it's, it's not great. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Hopefully, temperature restored to normal. Tomorrow. And hopefully, you think it's aren't too cold to type because you need to read Tim's uh, content. You really, really do. And as as Connor Cody would say, you really, really do. Don't forget our special Black Friday <laughs> offer is still very much up and running all week until this Friday, the fourth of December. And you can get yourself a subscription to the Athletic for our best ever price, just a pound a month month for 12 months a pound a month for 12 months and you can cancel at any time so go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod for that discount that's theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod and pay just a pound a month for 12 months to access our unrivaled coverage that's an offer for new subscribers only thank you tim oh please do go and get warm i feel really sad that you look so 
absolutely freezing. <laughs> and of course, we wish Raul Jimenez all the very, very best in his recovery. Not necessarily a speedy one. He needs to just take whatever time is required for him to be completely back well and healthy in due course. And well done again to all the Wolf staff, Matt Perry, the club doctor, and everybody who's reacted so swiftly to look after the Wolves number nine. We'll be back next Tuesday morning in your regular podcast inbox. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.